if you could get com comfortable, I realize that you are pushed toward the center aisle. <laughs> um, think of an archangel sitting, rubbing shoulders with you, do you see? Your eyes are closed. Is there, in fact, any aversion at all? Just look at it right now. Is there any aversion to this arm and shoulder that touches you? Don't try to change that. But perhaps ask yourself, just what am I afraid of? It's not hot enough that they're sweating. It's not going to ruin your clothes. Of course there's nothing. There's nothing to fear from this warmth that comes from the body next to you. This is your brother, your sister. This person has tried as hard as you have. So accept this person next to you. Welcome them. Along with the heat of your body, send your blessing. You need do nothing about this. Just bless the person who is next to you and tell them that they have nothing to fear and that you do not fear them. And now, having taken care of the little relationship at hand, which is always the way to proceed in truth, you start with what's at hand and then go out. Before you have your meditation, you are at peace with the people in your house first, and then you have your meditation. What point is the meditation if you have not yet first done all that you can do to be at peace with the people in your house? Or to bless those you have not yet forgiven? How can you sit down and turn your thought to God if there is one of God's children that you hold a grievance against? And so you have started with the relationship at hand, the, the people who are next to you. And now, think of a difficult situation for you, a party perhaps, a situation at work, a particular kind of shopping, maybe, that you don't think you'd like. And see yourself responding from this place of peace, this calm center in the storm. Now you are encircled in the peace of God. Now the hush of heaven covers you. This is your birthright. You may call this down upon you anytime you wish. The hush of heaven. The quietness of the heart of God. And so now picture yourself in this situation. See something happen that has a tendency to call to your particular ego and picture yourself responding in peace. Don't worry about what your behavior is. Let it be whatever it is in the fantasy. You concentrate on the peace 
what do you do if you are jostled by a cart? If someone steps in front of you in the express lane, are the many, many horrible tragedies that occur in a person's life. So and so shouldn't be drinking, and there they are at the party drinking, and you see this. So, what is your response? Are you this person's friend? Or do you wish to condemn them in your mind? And now perhaps you're in your car. You have new tires and it is the sixth pothole you have gone over. So what do you do? Call the hush of heaven upon you. Wrap yourself in the stillness of Christ. And now respond. Okay. So, I know you want to know what the talk is about this morning. Uh, we talked last time about uh, meeting the public. So, we're t about these faces. The faces that sang this mantra. Perhaps they came into your mind a little bit as you sang those two mantras, the opening one and the one we just sang. But the faces on the street, the faces in restaurants, in the supermarket, the faces that come into your store, the faces that you meet as you shop at parties, at fiesta, and so forth, the faces on the tennis court, the faces on the in the swimming pool as you swim laps. So we talked about that, this almost nameless meeting of people who are strangers, or so it seems, last time. And I thought maybe this Sunday we would go one step up and talk about acquaintances. It's a very interesting word, acquaintances. Um, so we are not speaking about things like relationships with parents and say your grown children or roommate. Roommate is taking an entirely different meaning on nowadays. <laughs> I can remember when roommate meant uh, that you were in college or something. Um, oh, uh, here's a question for you, speaking of roommates. Uh, if the two of you are on a spiritual path. How do you know that your spouse is having an affair? <laughs> Let's say it's your husband. I will tell you. She and I knew each other in a past life. <laughs> do you hear those words? <laughs> Now, see, that's, 
that's going from acquaintance to a deeper kind of relationship that we're not going to uh, talk about today. Um, and with parents, um, you absolutely will not awake. You will not awake. You will not arrive home. You will not know your father. You will not know reality. You simply will not know the love and the peace of God until you have forgiven your parents. And you might notice this, those of you whose parents are still alive. When you speak to your... See, we're not going to talk about this. <laughs> this is what we're not going to talk about. Um, when... Uh, when you speak to your parents on the phone or you have a visit with them, watch something. You become that little boy and that little girl that has always been. My nickname was Poncho. <laughs> when I talked to, uh, this is true in, in Texas, it was, uh, even in those days I had a large, it was, uh, actually, it's it, my name wasn't actually Poncho, I was it, someone said I had a large panchita. Is that the name? Panchita? Pancita. Pancita. And someone misunderstood that and thought they said Pancho, and that's how my nickname became. But they actually, they were pointing out my stomach, even in those days. <laughs> even in the pram, you, know, you could notice the stomach. Um, so when I talked to uh, either of my parents... One lives in Santa Fe and one in Dallas. I become Pancho. I become Pancho in my own mind, not in theirs necessarily. And you might notice this. It's very difficult to be around a parent without being cast back into your ego, back cast back into your ego life, this little identity that you've established in the world. This, of course, never means that you should abandon your parents and you should not talk to them because that is more unhappy uh, than, uh, than this little phenomenon. But you might notice this. Notice that uh, the fights at home may come after you've, one of you have talked to a parent, uh, that the depression may come after uh, you've talked to a parent, that there may be, as a matter of fact, several days of depression after the parents have visited. Now, the reason for that isn't that the parents are bad. It's that it is very difficult for us to be around a parent without thinking that we are their child. That's why there are those references in the Bible to that. So what do you do? If you prepare carefully, if you realize that you wish to continue your walk home, that your identity is peace and love and gentleness, that you wish no identity in the world, you don't wish this little thing that you have made in the world that was born one place and will die another. That isn't what you wish to think of yourself as because that's not what you are. And if you set your purpose to maintain your peace, then this will not happen. But it will happen if you simply go into a conversation uh, or a visit with a parent and you haven't prepared yourself at our level of learning. Of course, you reach a level of learning in which nothing in the world affects you any longer, and you know your identity. But there are things that call us back to the past and cast us back into our ego 
And that is a very clear case. Talking to a grown child can have a similar effect for the parent. It can bring up all this that happened and all the mistakes that were supposedly made and all the sorrow and everything else. So it's, that's, as I say, that's what we're not going to talk about this morning. <laughs> there will be none of that. Now, what we're going to talk about is uh, acquaintances. Acquaintances. Um, it's an interesting word because what are you acquainted with with an acquaintance. You are acquainted with a past. That's the difference. So you possibly have noticed that you can go to Skaggs Alpha Beta and you can shop in relative peace among all the many strangers there. Relative peace, you understand. But see one acquaintance and terror strikes in your heart. <laughs> No, it's not that dramatic. But notice that there's a little anxiety. A little anxiety when you see an acquaintance, someone you met in a, at a party, uh, someone who comes into your store enough that you now, this face is familiar, or in your restaurant or whatever, someone who walk, uh, works in the office down the hall. What, what, however it may have come about, you're acquainted now with a past. And so... There is a very interesting phenomenon that takes place that's the difference between a stranger and an acquaintance. When you see a stranger, you have only your prejudices to deal with, and those are so insane that probably most of you have been able to let go of those crazy prejudices. Uh, the, the, the shade of skin, the, the, the length of the nose, the... Uh, uh, the uh, way that the person talks, uh, the way that they dress, how long their hair is, uh, anything that uh, tells you of a different group, a different status, a different economic bracket, a different religion, a different whatever it may be. I told you uh, in Texas uh, during the Vietnam War, I grew a beard, and I, I had on more than one occasion when I would jog around uh, uh, parts of Lake Travis, uh, pickup truck come off the road and try to hit me because to wear a beard was to take a political stand on the Vietnam War um, and so that's I represent at least that's what was the general thought there in Texas uh, in that part of Texas so there's that kind of thing possibly you yourself have been the object of prejudice uh, Gail and I have been the object of prejudice it's a very interesting thing you can see how crazy it is when, uh, when you are the object, I remember uh, we were in uh, we were in a car in Berkeley. At that time, Gail and I were living in an almost entirely black neighborhood, uh, and we had gotten in a car with uh, Deep South license plates. I won't uh, identify the state, and uh, we were sitting in the back seat, and uh, the couple that owned the car were in the front seat, and a car. Uh, stopped, a car of black stopped and started yelling at us about what what kind of people we were because we were from the South. And uh, I remember my main instinct was to say, this is not my car, you know. I, <laughs> I'm further along. I'm, I'm closer to the West Coast. We're, we live in Texas. <laughs> but you can see how crazy it is. I remember uh, when we first moved to Santa Fe, 
uh, we were on uh, a tennis court over by the uh, Indian school, and um, there were two um, young women there who left the court and went off to some houses nearby. We took the court over, started playing. They came back about five minutes later and said, this is our court. We just went to get such and such. And um, this was back uh, 14 years ago. Um, and we said, no, well, I wouldn't do that now. I, w I wouldn't get into that kind of ridiculous fight. But no, no, this is our court. And so one of the uh, young women started saying, this is our state. We were here first. You think you, you, you people think you can come in and take everything over, but we were here first. This is our state. And I just remember sitting there and hearing the insanity of that because now it was directed at me. So you've possibly been in that situation. I remember I was uh, over at uh, Sangre de Cristo Tennis Club and I was with uh, an Italian friend of mine. And something happened and he suddenly started railing against the blonde haired, blue eyed people. <laughs> At that time, uh, because I was playing a lot more tennis, my hair was uh, was blonde. <laughs> and, uh, and suddenly he realized what he did. He turned to me and said, Oh, Hugh, you're different. <laughs> <laughs> so this is indeed crazy, isn't it? That we would judge anybody, not knowing them, by simply seeing them and seeing some, some physical characteristic and thinking we know something about that person because of the physical characteristic. So most of you are beyond that patent insanity. It's so ridiculous. Maybe there's some little vestiges of it, but most of you are beyond that. But notice this other phenomenon. So you do shop in relative peace among strangers, but with the acquaintance, what happens? You now are seeing two things. You're seeing the person and you're seeing the past. Now, I want, you, I want you to close your eyes now, and I want you to see this phenomenon, because if you can see this, you can learn all kinds of valuable lessons from this. So there you are at Piggly Wiggly or wherever you like to go, uh, the co-op or the country store, or wherever it may be. And you're shopping. Now, notice now you're just seeing just strangers. You don't pay much attention to them, and you don't, they don't pay much attention to you. Now, from behind Campbell's pork and beans comes an acquaintance. Now, just notice that. Now, just, just in stillness, watch what happens. Pick out an acquaintance and have it be that person. Now, do you see that? Suddenly you're on a little bit. There's a little anxiety. Why? Because you are seeing two things now. You're seeing the person and you're seeing the past of the relationship that you have with this individual. So you're seeing your past with this person now as well as the, as the individual. Do you see that? A little of the past and a little of the person. Now... From behind the all-natural health food cheeses comes a friend, an old friend. Now watch that. Pick out an old friend, please, and have it be that person with your eyes closed. Here they come. 
Now what are you saying? If you can look at this honestly, and it's very difficult to do so, you are seeing almost nothing but past. You are not seeing that person at all. You're seeing only what has gone on between the two of you. Now you tell yourself how this person is. You think you know everything there is to know about this person. You cannot see them at all. Okay. So that's... Uh, you see, so we're going to talk about acquaintances, where, where this process is starting. Because this process is like, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's as if you were a fox and you were being chased by the hounds. The pasts of the relationships in your life run after you like so many bloodthirsty dogs. This is why people now are going from relationship to relationship to relationship. is because the past haunts them. The past that has gone on in this relationship has taken place. And that past and your past and the past of the relationship and the past you have with your parents will eventually do what it does to the fox. The fox will be cornered and devoured. You will die because of your past, or at least you think you will. You think your past will kill you. You will have had enough past now, and now you must die. And so let's just look at this little in-between stage, these acquaintances where this insanity begins. Because you are not the past that is evoked by your parents or the past that you see with this person or the past, the greater past of the friendship, or any other past. There is no God in the past. There is only now. God is. God is now. God has always been in the present. But you will not look backwards and find peace. You will not look backwards and find forgiveness and kindness. You will not be a true friend by looking backwards at what has gone on between you and another person. There is no peace. There is no love. There is no kindness. There is no gentleness. There is no God in that past. Now, I've told you and it's obvious that um, the more egos, the more difficult the situation is. The more egos. Now, there are, of course, exceptions. There is the exception of this church in place meetings like this where people come together for a single purpose. In this kind of agreement, there is great strength. But in the agreement to pursue separate interests such as goes on when people shop and pursue their separate interests there is another kind of agreement and that is the agreement of separation and isolation and so even though as a general rule it's true that the more egos that you surround yourself with the more difficult your time will be your, your way will be the more people you bring into your house the more um um people you invite for dinner it becomes a little more difficult this does not mean 
of course, that you should uh, make the guest list short. This simply, uh, this does not mean that you should not in, uh, order the uh, full dozen of uh, oysters on the half shell. You see. Oh, look at all those egos, 12 little egos there. I should have gotten the half dozen. It's not that. That's not the deal, you see. I'm not sure that oysters have egos, actually. <laughs> um, so it's not that, that kind of thing. It's just a general rule. You wish to make your way easy, and you wish to make your way simple. And so, of course, you do, you are, you, you do shop in a simple manner, and you do have people into your home in a simple manner, and you, and you go on trips in a simple manner. It's very difficult for people to travel. Uh, there are people that can travel in peace. There are people who are actually more peaceful traveling. But for most people, it is difficult to take a trip. Why? For the simple reason that you are exposed to more egos. And egos tend to call to egos. This is not anything to be afraid of. It's just something to be aware of, that every ego calls to every other ego. So your ego is being called to by everybody else's ego, unless the people have decided for the time being, for the moment, to set aside their ego and to pursue a deeper purpose, to pursue their deeper self. So what do you do? Because we must be around egos. We must have acquaintances. It is a definite mistake to run from the world, to hide out someplace. You will not awaken doing that. That would be the ego solution, you see, that somehow you are to fear the world. What actually happens is that the world becomes like a a dark field, a vast dark field in which you stumble and fall. This vast dark field and you stumble and fall over and over again and finally you realize you can't get hurt. That's what the world is. You stumble until you realize it doesn't matter. It will not hurt you. And it doesn't matter whether you're walking in darkness or stumbling in darkness or picking yourself up in darkness or embarking on a new direction in darkness. None of it matters. All that matters is the light of God, which is in your heart. But you do not stop walking. You don't dig some hole and try to hide from the dark field because that is to make it real. And so, of course, we are around people. And... Since God is everywhere, since God is all there actually is, God is in everyone you see. God is there. God is your true friend, your true brother, your true sister, your acquaintance. God is the stranger. And there is no more beautiful exercise than to call everything you see God. You might try going through a single day just doing that. Everything you see, give it the one name. God, because God is there. God shines through the illusion. God shines through the dream, the loneliness, the separation, the differences of, of interests. And you can see God because God is there. God is what is real about this person who stands before you. This past, this ego, this imaginary, imaginary identity is not real. And because that is true, 
you can connect with something. But oh, how lonely, how desperate it is to try to connect with the ego. And how forlorn we often feel after dinner with guests, after the party, after going out with this couple. This this slight ache we begin to notice as we become more aware. Why? Because we did not join. And the reason we didn't join was that we were trying to join on the wrong level. There is a level on which we can join. And how does that occur? Another interesting word is the word welcome. W-E-L comes from many different sources, but possibly the most recent is the old English source that means will or desire. And come means simply to come or to receive. It also is a synonym for guest. I want the guest is what welcome means. I want the guest. This is the key to being around acquaintances as well as strangers and friends in peace as you let the acquaintance come. You do not run to the acquaintance. So you, it is your, you remember the old song, uh, Come On to My House? Come on to my house, my house. Of course, John was at the piano. Uh, no, I guess most of you don't remember that. Uh, well, do you remember uh, my house is your house? Oh, so you do remember it. All right, okay. Uh, well, you see, come on to my house. If uh, if we were, if you turn that around and you say, uh, so when are you going to invite me over? Do you see the difference there? Come on to my house. So when are you going to invite me over? Doesn't work. My house is your house. Now let's turn that around. Your house is my house. <laughs> you see, it doesn't work. <laughs> All right, but that's exactly what we do with acquaintances and with friends. We're going to talk about acquaintances. <laughs> we run. We, we try to enter their house instead of provide a house, a welcome for them. That is the only thing there is to do. That's all there is to do, is that you provide a place of peace. Oh, uh, John, on the way over here, uh, John said, have you seen my walkie-talkie? I said, no. He said, it looks like a piece of wood. I pulled it out of his arm. He had a little block of wood. But it wasn't really. It was a walkie-talkie. And I had never looked at that word. Isn't that a wonderful word? Walkie talkie. <laughs> what you want to do is standy happy. <laughs> so please put that in your pocket. Put your little standy happy in your pocket. You welcome, you wait in peace, you provide a home. And so you concentrate on your peace and not on the person. That's the mistake we make. That's what makes these encounters so difficult. That's why we're so antsy. That's why there's this sigh of relief when we got through one of these conversations there at Albertson's, you know, and we didn't make a mistake, you see. (laughs) 
uh, they still think that we're that same shining uh, life of the party that they met back so-and-so, which we know is a complete force, and we didn't give it away, you see. <laughs> There's this relief. Oh, got through that one. And people are actually standing there. You can see the tension as they're sitting there trying to come up with things. Don't come up with anything. Be a home. Be a welcome. Be a place of rest. Standing happy. So, specifically, that means let the acquaintance, or parent or friend or whoever, let the acquaintance control the conversation. That's what it means. Let them control the tone of the conversation. Now, some of you have run up, maybe all of you have run up against someone who gossips more than you think people should gossip. It isn't your quota of gossip. They're gossiping more than you're supposed to. And so you wonder what you're supposed to do. And possibly you have made the mistake of trying to change the tone of the conversation. You try to steer it away from the uh, the gossip or the attack or the uh, recitation of great diseases I have had or whatever else the person is talking about. And you, you try to steer it away. Can you remember sitting here now, the distressing results that had? It did not work, did it, to try to control the conversation, to try to change the tone of the conversation. Never attempt to do that. Let the other person control the tone of the conversation completely. This doesn't mean that you personally have to enter into the attack, but you don't try to get rid of the attack or get rid of the person, or get rid of what their person is saying, or get rid of what the person is feeling, or somehow force the other person into acting as if they don't feel the way they feel, because they do feel that way. You don't concentrate on them. This is the important thing. If you concentrate on them, you're saying, your house is my house. When are you going to invite me over? And you are walkie-talkie. That's what you're doing. You're trying to barge in, and it will not work because there is no force in God. God is gentleness and peace. God is open arms, and there is no place where those arms are not open and welcoming, and that's where you wish to be. So it isn't that they come over to your spot It isn't that you make them walk to where you're standing, but that you have your welcome ready, your peace ready, and you practice simple acceptance and allow them to be however they wish to be this moment. And you concentrate on what? You concentrate on your peace, which is your home, which they are a guest in. This is the key to awakening, to concentrate on your peace in all situations. Nothing has to be done. Every time we make a mistake, we are concentrating on something outside of our peace, the problem, whatever it may be. Now has our attention, the person. Now has our attention, the marriage, the child. Now has our attention. There is no healing if they have your attention. 
Put your attention on your peace. Be as peaceful as you can be. Don't try to be perfectly peaceful. But the Course says, to be in the kingdom is merely to focus your full attention on it. When will you know God? When will you know your Father? When will you know that this is not just words? When will you know that there is one life and one love? That there is a joy and a song and a brilliance and a happiness that there is no hint of in this world, and yet it's right here where the world seems to be. When you focus your attention on it is when you will know it. But that is not going to be done overnight. There's not going to be some great experience, some final dark night of the soul with multiple body out-of-the-body experiences and auras snapping all over the place, everything. This is not, it's not going to happen that way. It'll happen because you make the decision to begin to focus on your happiness and your peace and your gentleness and your kindness and your welcome. And then it will begin to grow and you will enter the kingdom of heaven step by step. The door will seemed to slowly open, but it was always open. And your footsteps will appear to go lighter and lighter on the path. But they were always light because the path itself was light. And you will begin to hear and feel the presence of those who have already relinquished their egos. And they speak to you in the most gentle of whispers. And you will begin to feel this family of which you are a part. And you only thought that they cast you out. You were never cast out. You merely fell asleep and dreamed a dream of isolation. Dreamed a dream of wandering away from home. Why? There is no answer. Thank God there is no answer to the question, why did you do it? Why did I do it? If there were an answer... It would be reasonable. It would have truth. It would have reality. Because it was crazy, it is easily overcome. A simple act of will undoes it all. But the will doesn't have to come in one lump. It can come in little installments. And for most people, it will come only in that way. Little installments every day. Concentrate on the peace. But what do we do? There we are, picking up uh, kiwi fruit at Furs. Kiwi fruit. Have you ever picked up a kiwi fruit? It feels like it came off of the anatomy of some doesn't of some animal or something. Uh, but there you are, uh, trying to decide if the kiwi fruit is soft. And see, kiwi fruit is soft. And so the whole question is, how soft must it be? Uh, and it's furry. So, uh, and then along comes, someone taps you on the shoulder. Ah. Feel the pangs of, of uh, fear, do you see? As they tap you on the shoulder. Because either you have, you're not supposed to pick up the kiwi fruit, or it's an acquaintance.
Now, I realize that many of you did not have the rich experience of a Texas upbringing like uh, David and I did. And so possibly you don't know how to, how to hypnotize a chicken. <laughs> how many people here know how to hypnotize a chicken? Aha, we do. Ah, we have some real people out there. Now, uh, I would like you to have this experience. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, <laughs> and I uh, was almost tempted to put you all over to my chicken yard so you could do this, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but if you happen to find yourself in a chicken yard, here's what you do. You take the chicken. I'm not kidding you. This is true. But I kid you. You take the chicken and you put the chicken down on the uh, dirt, the, the, the uh, bill of the chicken flat on the dirt. And then you take a stick or your finger or something and you draw a line straight out from the bill of the chicken. You let go of the chicken and the chicken will just stare at the line. <laughs> it, it does. It just, just stares at that line. Can you imagine who the guy was that discovered that? <laughs> Well, what did you do today, Henry? Well, March, you know, I was out there uh, squashing the chickens on the ground, you know, like I like to do. And you know how I've drawn, <laughs> you know how I used to draw lines out from their feet and out from their tail feathers, you know. I just decided I'd draw a line out from the bill. You know what happened? <laughs> I mean, I was that discovered. <laughs> but that's what happens, an acquaintance. And you look, all you can do is look at the acquaintance, do you see? <laughs> You've forgotten your purpose, your way home, who you are, everything, you know. <laughs> Waking out of a dream, it almost feels that way. You will sort of surface from this insanity. The Holy Spirit wakes us up all during the day, just very gently, and so we suddenly step back and we see what we're doing. Now, when that moment comes, there's no point in criticizing yourself if you went through the whole thing and didn't remember. What can you do but act when you remember? How can you act when you haven't remembered? What is the point of chastising yourself if you didn't remember? So only pay attention to the times you remember. But when you remember, that means you have an opportunity to change, to choose again. And so now you're looking at the line, the acquaintance. And so you simply take your attention off of the person and on to your peace because there is no joining if you are concentrating on the person. If you are concentrating on the person, you are trying to control the person. You're seeing how the person is reacting. You're using their eyes to look at you. You're using their mind to judge you. Everything you do turns into a mirror and you are looking at them as if they are a hand mirror. And you say something and you look at them and see how their eyes and how their tone of voice and how their mind takes this. You have relinquished your mind and your eyes. And so where's the joining in that kind of concentration? Gently turn your attention to your happiness and your peace. And be a welcome. Be a home. Be gentle. Let the person come to you. Let the words come to your mouth. Let the situation develop. Let the, let, don't control it. Don't have any expectations as to how it will go. Be a welcome. Be a friend. 
And then as the person leaves, bless them. And then you will not think about it afterwards because these things hang on, don't they? They hang on. You know, now you're driving your, your, your cart up and down these other aisles and you're not even thinking about all this wonderful packaging People have spent so many millions of dollars attracting your attention. Your mind is back there. Did you do it right? Did you say something wrong? I wonder if they thought I meant so-and-so. Now, we've talked before that there will be times in which you will be attacked in some form or another. People who feel as though they are being judged by everyone, and every all of you know people like this, there are people who think that everyone dislikes them, everyone judges them. Those people are often aggressive. An aggressive person, a person who is always aggressive, always assertive, always defensive, is very often a person who feels judged by everyone. This is such a pattern in their life that they're sure you too are going to judge them but it's just a question of time before you too turn against them. And so what do you do with someone who is very aggressive, very defensive, very assertive in a, in a negative way? If you attack back, then of course they must continue on the same unhappy path. You've merely pushed them further in the wrong direction. And if you are timid, you also play into the same unhappy pattern. But this is the ego's solution. The ego always turns to an ego opposite in order to solve the problem. And so if you think that your problem is being weak, that you are a weakling in some way, that you're like one of your parents who was always weak, then the ego will suggest that you become uh, obstinate, are aggressive or assertive in some way. And if you think that your problem uh, is that uh, is, the, is the opposite, then what the ego will suggest is that you become a sycophant, that you become timid, that you become fearful. And so you don't want to do either of those things. You do not wish to attack back no matter what's going on, and you do not wish to become timid. Do not wish to become fearful or anxious. Do not be afraid of other people's egos. We must lose our fear of this world, and we must lose our fear of other people's egos. So don't be afraid if someone cries. Don't be afraid if someone shouts at you. Don't be afraid if someone is discouraged. Very, very discouraged. Don't run from that. Don't be afraid if someone is depressed are irritated. Don't be afraid if someone takes offense. That's just their ego. The ego is nothing to fear. So you are neither, so you neither attack back, nor are you timid and afraid, but you practice your peace. You concentrate on your welcome. If, however, the attack is direct, if they're directly attacking to you, you must understand that the person is calling without realizing it. They are calling to your ego. The ego always calls to the ego. And so when someone's attacking to you, they are calling to your ego over and over and over. 
They're saying, come forth. And you have to be very far along in order to not eventually give in to that, one way or the other. And so the same thing to do is, of course, to depart if you're being attacked, to gently walk away from the conversation. It is never good to stand and remain if you're under attack. And this is, of course, what Jesus did. He did not say anything to the crowd. He did not have a parting word. He didn't do anything about it. He just turned because they were throwing stones at him or whatever else, whatever else they're trying to push him over the cliff or whatever the thing may be. He simply left. There's nothing there for you to do but bless them as you leave. Don't bless them verbally. <laughs> Pick up a bigger stone. Bless them because there's nothing you can do and you don't wish your ego activated. And, of course, their ego is trying to activate your ego. They don't know this, but you can't be of help to them. But if you can see what's happening, then you neither attack back nor are you timid and you keep your welcome warm and open and free. I tell you what let's do. Let's... Um, I tell you what, let's do, Tui. Let's let's just go right to that wonderful. Uh, so you see, the Tui is absolutely terrified now to ever do anything new in this church because I latch on to it, and it's the only thing I will let him do for several weeks. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, all right, all right. He's going to come up. Ah, oh, and it's gospel. All right. So this is a new one. I was going to have him do the one we did twice last Sunday. All right. <laughs> Okay, so there's a new one. So just sit back now. Concentrate on your peace. Don't concentrate on when this will be over or what are you going to do or all that stuff. Just concentrate now on your peace. Let this music sink, in, sink into you. Notice that, you're, that the people around you are singing, that they share your walk home. They share your walk home, these people around you. So let's just partake of that blessing.